11 minutes it is after 8 p.m. It's Thought Leader Thursday and uh, yeah, this uh, evening our Thought Leader, uh, yeah, and I guess uh, quite suitable here in the month, uh, in uh, Heritage Month, is uh, a uh, professor in uh, the world of history. He is a seasoned veteran in the world of heritage management and uh, the management of our heritage assets, uh, a former first class cricketer. Uh, and uh, a former uh, activist, uh, and uh, that is uh, Professor Andre Werdendahl, and uh, who joins us, uh, uh, yeah, this evening, and also the newly appointed writer in residence at uh, the University of the Western Cape Centre for Humanities Research, and uh, yeah, joins us uh, this evening. Uh, uh, yeah, from what they say, Prof is the intellectual home of the democratic left. Yes, good evening, and thanks very much, Ayabonga, for having me on the show. Um, UWC, I joined in the 1980s. It was a campus in Ferment, and uh, our rector, James Harwell, who later became the director general in the presidency of mm. democracy, um, basically said, um, we don't want to be a, a typical South African university. We must redefine our mission to serve the people from the communities oh, where yeah. our students come from. And that's where that um, home of the democratic yeah, left, yeah. intellectual home, came from. Yeah, yeah. And it was a wonderfully exciting place, full of ideas and energy and drama. And also, very importantly, uh, after the unbannings, really mm. like a nursery, a, think, uh, a nursery for thinking and planning for the new democracy. Yeah. And that's where I was very lucky to be involved in setting up the Maibuya Center for History and Culture in South Africa on campus, and then also later becoming uh, involved in the planning and setting up mm. the Robben Island Museum. Yeah, yeah. Let, let's maybe take a step back, uh, Prof, because I think for me those are fascinating, uh, you know, heritage assets uh, of the people of South Africa. You know, if, if anybody hasn't gone to the Maibuya Centre, I'd encourage you uh, to certainly take a look at it. You might even see images there that you're familiar with and uh, that you don't know are housed in that particular centre. But let's take a step back uh, and just briefly sketch out, you know, who... Uh, Andre Oerendahl is. Um, I mean, you you grew up in the Eastern Cape. Uh, you know, we happen to have gone to the same school, uh, and maybe you can touch on that as well. And uh, I guess some of uh, you know uh, those early formative years, and of course, you end up at the University of Stellenbosch and later on at Cambridge. That's right. I grew up in uh, Komani. Uh, one wanted to do. Uh, looking back now, I realize how important the Eastern Cape was for me mm. uh, growing up. And uh, that became then my, when I started on my postgraduate studies, I thought, what do I work on? And my topic I chose was African responses to the unification of South Africa. Mm. People thought there's nothing there. And, of course, um, I went into the archives, found the first missionary newspapers, Isigitimi Samakosa, the first independent newspapers, Imbozabanzundu, started in 1884 by John Tengo Jobabu when he was 23 years old, and the rest was history. Wow. I've been working on that topic for 40 years, and I'm not done yet. Let's talk about some of your work on that topic. Um, I mean, from, you know, Fugani Bandu, I think that was the name of the publication, and uh, to a more recent book that, you know, some of our listeners might be familiar with, The Founders, uh, where you unpack, I guess, some of the influences and developments that, led to what many, you know, South Africans, I guess, in the sort of post-military conquest and conflict phase, 
you know, see mm. as the emergence of the ANC in 1912. Uh, but there was a significant amount of other national organization that happened prior to that. Uh, just talk to us about that. And I guess also your thoughts on how that history is told, um, least of all to the younger generation. Yeah, I think um, the in Williamstown and say, you know, this is a report of what happened in Queenstown. Uh, people are protesting against um, Tungumlama, which was the, an act in 1887 to try and restrict the African vote. So in those days in the Cape Colony, there were 10 to 20,000. And that gradually you had mm. what were um, called Elisa Lomzi, Native Vigilant Associations, which were formed in many districts, and they formed regional organizations. The two main ones were a second in Mumba and the Nunutela Congress um, groupings, and that is where, um, from 1890 onwards, the roots of the current-day ANC happened. After the South Africa, giving a lot of detail about the networks and incredible personalities and the many different organizations that came up there. And, you know, the, the tragedy of South Africa was that if you look at, um, at other countries, for instance, Britain, um, the, as the 20th century, late 19th and 20th century moved on, the uh, political system opened up to first the working class mm. and then women and incorporated them into a broader political entity. In South Africa, the opposite happened. Um, as this amazing group of people that I've written about mm. and others have too, um, became bigger and bigger, instead of encouraging them uh, to um, buy land, fill new occupations, um, and... Um, get educated and progress in the system, the opposite happened. Mm. They were excluded systematically until the Land Act Union and all the apartheid laws came in, more than 300 laws controlling black people's movement, uh, labor and living spaces, basically. And I guess, you know, Prof, I mean, with that rich history, um, in a way... I'm always quite interested in the reality and the way in which that also framed white life. I mean, if you've got 300 laws that you need to enforce and you've got an entire system that you're trying to build in many ways to resolve your own poor white problem, uh, as, as, as many have argued, uh, it certainly does change, I guess, even you know, the configuration of white life post the union. I mean, you know, 1910 uh, uh, is, is always, I guess, the, the timeline mapped out. And uh, it's always quite interesting, I guess, how people forget, you know, that what we know South Africa as isn't even 200 years old. So it's, it's not this immutable type of, you know, political environment that, um, you know, has always been here as if by some divine intervention. I've written a yeah. lot about yeah. so that the so that the institution of colonialism, uh, the ex- exclusions at the heart of it, the violence and the discrimination at the heart of it became part of the culture of South African life and really uh, made white people, I think, permanently fearful. And and uh, you know that's why we did cadets at Queens College. It was a colonial tradition that the boys had to be prepared in case of war and so on. So that's the kind of undoing of mentalities um, that are often unconscious uh, that we've got to do uh, 
30 years after mm. democracy, mm. where there's so many um, shortcomings in what was aimed for in 1994. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the level of poverty, of course, and marginalization, socioeconomic, is is unacceptably yeah. high and unsustainable. Yeah, yeah. Prof, you know, before we leave some of these historic questions, I mean, and, and, and go to cricket, uh, which I'm, I'm certainly interested in hearing some of your views on the latest, uh, not only of what's happening on the field, but also some of the boardroom uh, uh, politics there. Uh, let's do just maybe a, a last question on this issue of the history itself, you know, uh, the archive, which is a critical thing uh, in mm. your own method, I guess, as a historian, uh, the preservation of that archive, you know, for multiple generations to be able to draw from, you know, and, and, and build on historical concepts and theory of, you know, all manner of historic, you know, uh, milestones in the history of South Africa that uh, deserve to be researched and uh, looked into. Uh, and, you know, this conversation we have, we're having here happens at a time when there's the issues at Lily Sleaf, we've seen over the last while reports coming mm. out of a place that you were, you know, quite close in uh, in its early development, and that's the Robin Island Museum. Some of your thoughts on where we are in our heritage management landscape, because indeed, you know, that's the wealth in Tiaboyasizweleyo, um, you know, that that Longubekweleyo and that type of heritage that that would sit in institutions like that. So there's a wonderful opportunity mm. publishing and and through productions to make history available. And I'm very, very impressed by the high level of interest in history. Black Lives Matter, um, the young people of today are are like crying out for this kind of material. Mm. You often, yeah, how come we weren't told this history? Mm. How come we weren't taught this history? And there are wonderful works coming from novelists like Sisonke Simon to writers like, um, you know, Nomalanga Mkise, many other people, Tendeka Nuka Etobi and so on. There's wonderful work coming out. And um, I think we're going through a second growth phase mm. um, in, in history, which is linked to crisis often. Yes. When people say, what happened? How do, how do you know archive. where we come from? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's I mean, it's always interesting. You're right, Prof. That you know, in every moment of um, economic or social crisis, that's when you know everybody goes back to dust off the archive to look at you know what has happened. I mean, that's why everybody's now going back to what happened during the Spanish flu or you know during the 2007-8 crisis. Everybody went back to 1929 to try and make Absolutely. sense of how you know people responded to that. But I want us to you know to come back to the pitch just for a second. I mean you you're a first class cricketer. You you played for Cambridge, uh, you know the combined universities teams. Uh, you played for some of the. I think you played for Boerland here in South Africa, um, and have been an administrator and somebody who also played you know in the non-racial uh, uh, sports administrations in the late 80s as well. Um, you know I guess crossing that color barrier as uh, as some people might say. Uh, talk to me about I guess your sense of some of the crisis that is facing cricket South Africa. I mean, uh, you, you speak about institutions from the United Cricket Board. There was always the sense, and maybe right up until, I guess, the you know, for many, much of Nyoka saga, uh, that there was something that was being built that, uh, you know, at its tail end would give us something meaningful as a society that we could look towards and say, you know, that's there's a lesson we can learn from cricket that we can take to corporate South Africa that we can take to any other space. What do you make of uh, what's happening now? And I guess, you know, uh, some of what is coming to light in, in the hearings. Uh, does it shock you? Does it surprise you? Or does it, uh, I guess, you know, remind you of how much work needs to happen? 
I think we should start from your latest, you know, the, your last words there. Um, we've had cricket since 1790 that we all have in South yeah. Africa for all our institutions. Prof? Unfortunately, we have run out of time. I certainly wish we had a bit more time because there's, there's so much to unpack and to uncover, uh, uh, not only just in the world of cricket, uh, but also, I guess, you know, uh, in the world of politics and uh, what history can teach us. And uh, I want us to leave it here, but uh, yeah, it's been a real pleasure and I want to thank you for generously sharing your time and uh, your insights emerging from uh, your life's work, if I, if I might add. Uh, and I think you, you give true effect to uh, what you know, CLR James said. Uh, and uh, I don't know how to say it in that patois, but I think the message was quite clear that if you, if uh, it is only cricket that you know, then uh, you probably don't know much. And uh, I think uh, you certainly um, and your life's work shows us that uh, uh, you took that rather seriously. Thank you very much for your Thank time. You. Thanks very much, Ayabonga. And I think I think we've got to you know stay hopeful very much. Thank you very much, Prof. Ngozgakul. That there was uh, Professor Andre Urdendal uh, joining us uh, from uh, yeah, that university, the uh, intellectual home of the democratic left at uh, the University of the Western Cape. And uh, yeah, he was our thought leader on this Thursday.